I've never experienced this situation where I have uh, chief pilots of tour operators and golf operators and utility operators calling me up saying, hey, you, do you have anybody that's uh, reaching that uh, thousand hour mark? And I haven't had a single instructor here that reached a thousand hours and didn't didn't get the job. You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. On the line, I've got with me uh, Jared Friend, and we'll be talking uh, Holly about the, the US job market. So I'll get Jared to introduce himself uh, shortly. But things we're looking at, we're obviously recording this uh, in January uh, 2020, so it's a very different job market to what it has been uh, previously. Uh, it's been quite a traditional slump in the uh, helicopter market for, for several years, normally tied to sort of oil prices. And Jared, you might be able to give a bit more history than that too as we go through. And uh, we were joking before about the, uh, there was always a promise, Jared, about the, the Vietnam vets were going to retire and there was going to be this huge demand for pilots. And that's been the story for the last 20 years. But uh, is that what you heard when you got into the industry? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I got into the industry probably about 20 years ago and uh, started my flight training. And, and yeah, I heard a lot of the same things. Yeah, pilot demand, pilot demand, and it and, uh, didn't see it for for a lot, very long time, but I, I feel like it's uh, it's starting to crop its head now, especially with the, the fixed wing industry starting to explode and the, the airline industry, you know, throwing money at people trying to get them to become fixed wing pilots. Uh, now I think it's really precipitated uh, the helicopter market feeling that that burn a little bit, and and now in the United States, yeah, we're we're getting a lot of a lot of interest and a lot of demand for pilots. A lot of the helicopter operators are calling me here at the flight school and asking me if I have instructors. Do I have anybody at a thousand hours? Anybody that they can they can bring on board? And so it's a it's a really interesting time right now. Yeah, so exactly. So perfect time for us to chat. And I, I guess the high points what we're going to look at is yeah, talking about there's a definitely uptick. And we spoke before about offline about the difference between the Australian markets. I mean, we can talk about some of the difference in the markets, but definitely US market. Look at some of the drivers um, behind the demand. What sort of qualifications are the what are the sort of hot hot things at the moment? And then how the internationals can possibly look at one the different types of visa options available for the US, and then how to convert licenses to the uh, FAA. So yeah, hopefully we can cover yeah, some of those topics. All right. Well, do you want to give yourself a, a quick, or give people a quick intro to yourself, and let's talk about those early days of of when you first um, went looking for work and, and how you got to where you are at the moment. Sure, sure. I, so, like I said, I started in the helicopter about twenty years ago myself, and um, I went a little bit of a different, uh, a little bit different path than what we would call typical. When I got my commercial license, I went straight from. The Robinson uh, R22 uh, straight into the S61, uh, doing uh, helicopter logging as a second-in-command pilot, and yeah, spent quite almost a thousand hours probably 
working as a second in command pilot doing uh, construction and firefighting and, and a lot of helicopter logging and learned a lot. What, was that, a lot about what was that like going from, a, going from a 22 in, in, I guess most people might know that as, as a seeking um, essentially derivative for an S61. Yep. But that's, that's right. a massive change. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's actually a funny story. I, um, I, I the only way I got the job is uh, I, you know, went in there and uh, bugged the chief pilot uh, once once a week, one one time a week. I would go in there and it probably it was probably over a month of me going in and and bugging him and asking him and and you know uh, he showed me a stack of resumes on his desk and he said, Jared, you know these are the guys that you just uh, beat out for this job. And it's just from from wearing them down, I think. But you know. Uh, the, the funny part of this story is I did all the training, went through the, the manuals, did all the tests for the company, and uh, went out to one of their job sites where it was uh, where their helicopter logging up in the Washington state. And the chief pilot got in the helicopter with me. He started up the helicopter. He put his, uh, folded his hands, put them in his lap, and he looked at me and he said, let's go. And uh, like I said, the only aircraft I had ever flown up until that point was the Robinson R-22. And so I got to tell you, it was quite the experience. But, you know, uh, you know, the, the adage, uh, if you can fly a Robinson, you can fly anything. Um, and in that moment, it proved true. Uh, picked it up into a hover and <laughs> kind of funny, I picked it up into a three to five foot hover, which, of course, <laughs> for, for an S-61 is uh, is. is uh, almost a joke and he said oh no 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 you know pick this thing up into a hover and then then we took off and uh, did a lap and 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 yeah I, it was just he just had his hands folded in his lap so pretty pretty crazy experience for sure and i missed it before so how long were you flying the s61s yeah so i was flying for probably just a little over a year and uh actually they were um it's interesting um, worlds glide here a little bit they were getting a contract down in australia and they were going to type rate me in the 61 and send me down where you're at near near where you're at and the command pilot that i was flying with at the time of course i, I think i mentioned that i got this job right after my commercial ticket so i never had instructed or anything i uh really looked up to this guy uh, this command pilot he had you know tons of hours and, and just a lot of experience and uh, probably one of the smoothest pilots I've ever flown with in my life. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, Jared, I know this is a huge opportunity for you to get type rated in the 61. He said, but you will never learn as much about yourself and, uh, and about flying as you will being an instructor. He said, you can't take this job. You can't take the type rating. You got to go back and be an instructor. And I just about fell out of my chair. I, uh, you know, to, to get this opportunity and you know, get carded in the in the big boys, and here I am, and the command pilot that I'm flying with that I respect more than anybody else is telling me, no, you got to go back, and you got to, you got to be an instructor. I was speechless. I didn't I didn't know what to say, but ends up that I really respected his advice, and I did it. So, like I said, I was only there about a year and went back and became an instructor. And I got to tell you, not to spoil the surprise, but uh, he was right. Being an instructor, you learn more than you will ever learn uh, about yourself and about flying. 
being an instructor, it's it's a pretty valuable experience for sure. Yeah, that's a really big call because it, it, you know, we talk about differences in the US market, but in Australia and elsewhere, it's only probably a small percentage of pilots ever become instructors. Where I know in the US, the, the normal sort of route is you go through pilot school, become an instructor yourself, and then get your thousand hour mark, and then you're out into the, into the industry. But yeah, internationally, it's it's very different. Very, you know, I'd say only a very small percentage of international pilots actually do instructing as part of their, their career path. So I think for people listening, especially in Australia, the, the idea of jumping out of an S61 to go back to a uh, instructor school is, uh, is it would be sacrilege. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's right. That's uh, it worked yeah, out. It felt that way for me at the time too. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So yeah, so instructings I saw on your um on your little blurb there too. So you've done a fair bit of TV time. Uh, news uh, was it news helicopter flying? Yeah. So obviously went back, became an instructor, and then uh, from there went into the news. Uh, did did news actually a couple times? Did did it for three different news stations here in the Portland area. Did um, firefighting and construction work and aerial survey for Hillsborough Aviation at the time, uh, and um, worked through a lot of that before actually before I became the chief instructor of the school uh, back in 2009. And yeah, you know, I I got back into the chief instructor job, and and I just the the training market is something that I have a lot of a lot of value for. I, I uh, there's something really special about watching a student go all the way through his training, get to the end, and then get that dream job that he's always been wanting. And uh, something that I just love seeing, and I still love seeing posts and things on social media from from some of the students that went through way back when I started as chief instructor in 2009. It's uh, it's really fun. Yeah, and then uh, did a kind of a quick break after being chief instructor and then subsequently safety manager and went back into the news industry for a little while. That industry started changing a lot. About five years ago or so, um, there was a, a pretty big accident down in Arizona. News industry started changing, started introducing the drones a little bit more. So ended up uh, coming back to the school and loving it. I Like I said, uh, there's a special place in my heart for the training environment. So yeah, uh, back here at the the company that that I started it all at um, uh, Hillsborough, and uh, doing the general manager position, and and also uh, currently holding the chief instructor title here at Hillsborough Heli Academy. Fantastic! That's great stuff. Was it mainly A stars on the on the news work? What, what sort of types were you covering there? Uh, for the most part, it was actually the Bell two L six, the B model. Yeah, really. I, I love that helicopter. You know, there's not not very much that uh, it's pretty much your standard uh, on the on the turbine in the turbine world for for many many years. Uh, obviously, that's starting to change a little bit now, but uh, pretty pretty neat little aircraft. Nuts. That's great. And uh, yeah, like some of the aerial stuff I see over the U.S. Obviously, the big cities are just so heavily built up, and I often think about uh, yeah, you know, especially the news work where you just over that urban environment all the time. You know, where are you going to go if something yeah. goes wrong? So, yeah, did you have any, anything interesting come up while you were doing the news work? No, th- thankfully, never, thing, never anything exciting as far as the helicopter is concerned. Uh, obviously, lots of uh, covering lots of things from the air, but that's the best way to, best way to see it is uh, from the outside looking in. <laughs> yep. 
All right, well, let's get down to um, down the topic then. I guess that's what people will be listening in for. So, yeah, can, I guess sure. you, can you talk about, I guess specifically from your end, the, the job market there in the US, say for the last sort of five years, and then what's changed yeah. uh, recently? Yeah, so over the last five years, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of change in the market. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the the airline industry is throwing a lot of money out, trying to get more pilots. They're throwing in um, sign-on bonuses and a, a lot of things, and uh, we've noticed a, a lot of that potentially maybe even grabbing some of the interested people that may be interested in helicopters, but they see the, the money and, and the airlines uh, screaming so loudly. And uh, honestly, here in the U.S., they're talking about going from first officer uh, and being promoted in, in a year, which is, of course, unheard of, uh, especially at the majors. And so it's really over the last five years, it started to shift away from the, the helicopter environment. And I think what that's done is it's created a vacuum on the helicopter uh, industry in the United States. And, uh, and so now for the first time ever, I'm, I'm getting um, operators from all over the United States, just, just begging for pilots. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting time. I feel like the helicopter industry is just pregnant with anticipation of these new pilots coming through and and going into the industry. So it's just it's an exciting time, but also um, you know we're anticipating a lot of uh, a lot of demand here in the next couple of years. Now, there's going to be skeptics out there, and we're, we're going to get, uh, I guess, blamed a little bit for being two helicopter instructors who are trying to say, hey, look, come become a helicopter pilot <laughs> and, and driving up some business. So uh, is there some numbers you can put around that or just your recent experience? Like, you know, your recent graduates, how long are they sitting on the bench before they get picked up? Uh, yeah, can you, I guess just, if there's any sort of stats around it or just some more sort of stories you can tell about people picking up work? Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah, I totally get your point there. But uh I got to tell you, I I've never experienced I've never experienced this situation where I have uh chief pilots of tour operators and golf operators and utility operators calling me up saying, "Hey, you do you have anybody that's uh reaching that uh 1000 hour mark?" And I haven't had a single instructor here that reached a thousand hours and didn't didn't get the job right off the bat, a hundred, a hundred uh, or a thousand hours straight up. And in fact, um, there's even a company that we actually have a pathway program with uh, in Vegas. It's a tour operator down there that, because of our pathway program, they're actually reducing their uh, minimum hours to 750 for our pilots coming through which of course is, is just amazing. And so they actually have a program that they're sending the guys through that they actually have a ride along basically with one of their lead pilots until they feel comfortable uh, for those guys that they're hiring on at, at the reduced minimum. And so it's just, it's things like that that are just proving the point that's just there, you know, and you can kind of see it when you start to see, the the job postings out there and and they start creeping down from 2000 PIC hours to 1500 PIC hours to 1000 PIC hours and then they start going lower than that and that's when you know the industry is just really in need of pilots what about 
your brand new graduates, how, how are people sort of bridging that gap to get to that 750 or to that 1,000? Yeah. Thankfully, we're, we've been in a position over the last year where we've been uh, able to hire just about 100% of our graduates on as instructors here in the United States. As you mentioned earlier, in the United States, it's a little bit different. We, we go straight from graduating uh, and straight into the instructing world. And so that, that's the way that people build up their hours and their experience. And because of that, obviously, we have a really rigorous flight instructor training curriculum that we go through. We spend a lot of time on it. It's a 141 program, and it's something that we take a lot of pride in and also a lot of caution in because we understand that they're going to be going straight from there, straight into instructing, and in most cases, instructing our students. So we want to make sure that uh, it's done properly and effectively. Yeah, it must have been that's it's a nice thing, you know. I guess we got a mix of instructing experience, but you know, having people with a thousand plus hours or fifteen hundred hours doing instructing, <laughs> I guess it'd be a slightly different picture from uh, our two positions as, as chief instructor of, of the oversight there. But uh, that's probably it a is. digress. But is that pretty similar then, do you think, around the rest of the country? If, if you were a helicopter pilot, um, yeah. you know, sitting around the 250 mark or 200 hours, uh, you could pretty much pick, you know, get an instructing job and bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think most uh, most places, uh, because, like I said, because the, the helicopter industry is starting to move in that upward tick, I feel like there's a lot more students coming in than you have graduates, uh, and so I, I I really see that that job market being really strong right now. And even more so, I think you mentioned it uh, offline, but, you know, uh, one of the things that I know that people outside the United States have that that trouble with is that very first job. And um, so we've actually had several guys come through. They already have their ratings uh, in Europe, their IASA or, or somewhere else come in and get their flight instructor certificate with us and then come on as an instructor uh, so that they can build their hours here and with our school, we we offer the F1 visa, which allows you actually two years of time in country to build your hours up, uh, so that when it's time for you to go home, you you have the hours and the experience for the job, for that job that you really want. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of years ticking up there. So we might come back to the F1 visa and the, and the other options shortly, and, and try and give as much coverage as we can there. Uh, I guess before we leave that sort of job market type thing, what about qualifications? So does it matter at the moment? Do the guys need you know turbine sling, you know particular type ratings, or is it just the fact that you've got your commercial license and they just need people in seats and and companies are prepared to to pay for quals? Yeah, I mean that's that's really another indication of the industry really in need is that most companies aren't requiring any other any other tickets or, or certifications or checkouts or uh, however that is, uh, they're really just looking for that thousand hour mark in most cases so that they can, you know, sell it to the insurance company. Uh, and they're to- uh, completely willing to do all the training, uh, the turbine transition, the aircraft transition, or even even uh, external load training as well. Uh, it's 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 just really weird because you read these articles talking about it and I'm hearing you you talk but it's it's just really weird that it can be such a different market in between different countries so, you know again I can't talk to South it Africa or, or Europe 
but it's it's just really funny like as a, as a global industry for helicopters it seems like a small industry but it does really seem different from from country to country so that's awesome that there's that demand there for, for you guys at the moment yeah all right well let's I, I guess move on to I don't know if you want to tackle visas first or the just a how to get an FAA license sure sure I know uh, um Obviously, uh, a lot of the thing, a lot of times we get a lot of international, and I say international, people outside of the United States coming to us because, um, uh, again, you have that opportunity, you have that opportunity after you graduate uh, to become an instructor and to build your hours. And um, as I mentioned, we're one of the few schools in the United States that offers the F-1 visa. There's quite a few schools that offer the M-1 visa, uh, which is just a training visa it doesn't allow you to work at all unfortunately um so is that um, n for november or m for mike mike yeah yeah m m for mike and it's uh, the f1 visa is quite hard to acquire uh, with the u.s government uh, and it's taken us a lot of years and a lot of work in order to be able to offer this but we're so so proud to be able to offer it because like you said, it gives it gives them the opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. It gives them that chance to build up their hours and to bridge that gap. That's always the hardest part is you get your commercial ticket, and then how do you get those hours, and how do you build it up to that to that magic a magic number, whatever that is. And in most cases, it's a thousand hours. And so with the F one visa, it allows uh, students to graduate. And then uh, they can go on to do basically practical training, but that allows them to be paid anywhere in the United States, not just for us. Um, but they could go on to be an instructor. They could go on to do tours. Uh, they could go on to do just about any job. Just as the employer understands that uh, there's a two-year time limit on it um, to build up that time and to build up that experience. And then, and then, um, and then go home and, and they have that, that time and that experience, get their transition and start working uh, where they've always wanted to work. And another kind of piece to that puzzle is we're actually currently working with uh, a school in Europe. Uh, we're really close to you know, being able to offer the training to get uh, uh, EASA uh, transition, so the European transition, while they're here at our school in the United States. So uh, kind of be watching for that really exciting uh, news on that front. So Jared, is that only for people who don't currently have a license or you can have a, a current, you can be a current helicopter pilot out flying and still get the F1 visa? Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, the, the way that visa works is you have to do uh, six and a half months of, uh, of training before you can actually start uh, getting paid for it. So uh, that that does make it a little bit difficult if you're if you already got your ratings and you're coming in just to do the CFI or just just to do the flight instructor rating. So a little bit of a little bit of sometimes it takes takes a little bit of time for somebody to reach that six and a half month mark. But uh, a lot of times what we can do during that time is we could do uh, other training as well for those students or for those guys coming in if they want to get uh, external load training if they want to. If they want to get their instrument, if they don't have their instrument already, or uh, their instrument instructor, obviously we're we're uh, situated in the Pacific Northwest, so we specialize in mountain training out of our facility. We're just 
at the mouth of the Columbia River Gorge. So a lot of opportunities there. So we can we can fill up the time uh, if you want to. Um, but that's uh, but it's definitely an option. Anybody that m- might be outside the country already have your ratings and trying to figure out how to how to bridge that gap, like we've been talking about. Um, coming into the United States on the F1 visa is a really good op- opportunity and an option for you. All right. So just to backtrack that, so you essentially got to be attached to a training organization and be enrolled for six and a half months. And then do, you, ha- do you have two years after that or that six and a half months is part of correct. your two years? Mm-hmm. Okay. So plus. Yeah. You, and then you have two years after that. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and, and the M1 visa, how, how does that one work? And the M- M1 visa is just a training visa, so it allows you to come into the United States, uh, and we also offer that as well. And there are um, some students, uh, specific students, that are coming in on that visa because either they're coming in from another uh, company or operator outside the United States that they already have the job for. They know that they're going to go straight back uh, and start working for that helicopter operator when they go back. But uh, it, that is specifically just a training visa. So you, you can come in, do all, all of your training, but then you don't have the option at that point to start working in the United States or building those hours. So a little bit different, but but like I said, we do have specific students that choose that because they, they, don't, uh, they don't have the need to work and build the hours in the United States. Okay, uh, the green card gets thrown around. I don't know if there's a technical term for that. But <laughs> it, what, are the, what are all the other yeah. options? Uh, I guess we could talk about uh, you, you know you find someone online and uh, and marry. Uh, I'm assuming that's uh, that's an option for someone who's, who's, who's a beginning. But yeah, you know, what, what, uh, what else can you do? Yeah, I, we have had um, several students over the years uh, apply for the lottery and and get it. Not very common. I would not ever. Uh, bank on that or hope for that but there is that option to apply for the green card lottery here in the united states and um and not to uh not to say that this is also something to bank on but we also have had students that have come to the united states do the training and they find somebody they find their their soulmate and and they get to stick around but that again that's not that should never be a plan (laughs) in my opinion (laughs) No worries. Okay, so it's reasonably tight then, as long as they can sort of stroll in without one of those options and and find work over there. So it's it's still needs a little bit of planning. Yeah. Do you know what situation is in Canada? Do you have any visibility of that? Um, not really. Um, again, yeah, it's a, it is a different market. I, I have a couple um, students that have gone off to Canada and uh, gotten jobs up there right away as the the two years was up and they wanted to build more time. And a lot of times uh, people will go up to Canada because there's a lot of fun uh, and interesting uh, job opportunities, especially in utility up in, in Canada. But as far as the market is concerned, unfortunately, I can't really speak to that. All right, let's talk FAA licenses. So with an Australian license or a YAS or a South African license, wherever you're coming from, you land, and I guess you probably want to, if, if you know, if you can get some done before you get there, but, you know, I, I land in, in America, or sorry, in the US, I should say, and I want to go flying and and get my license converted. What are the, the bare minimum 
I guess, requirements? What are the steps? How, how do I go from landing in the US to getting an FAA license if I've currently got one? Sure. Yeah. So if you if you already have your license, what you'll do is you'll you'll come into the United States and you can get your private license based on your foreign ticket, uh, which is great. Gives you that uh, foreign limited or a private license based on that license. And then what we do from there is we use your logbook experience as well as your flying experience and your and your skills. Do a little bit of training, make sure that you're up to FAA standards for the commercial license. And then as soon as you meet those requirements for the commercial license, and potentially you may already have them, we can send you to a check ride with a FAA or with a designated pilot examiner and and get you that commercial ticket right away. Now, as soon as you have that commercial ticket, it's not based on your foreign license anymore. And so it's just a full-fledged FAA commercial ticket. And then uh, typically at that point, you can either be working on your instrument or we'll go straight into the flight instructor rating and start you through that program. And again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, that flight instructor program that we have here at the school is uh, pretty rigorous. It's full day classes and uh, training, and uh, you go through, you work through common student errors. And then uh, at the same time, that's also when we introduce uh, touchdown auto rotations and really hone in that skill. With the private license conversion, is that just a paper type thing or is there a check ride or is there a, an air law exam associated with that? Uh, there is no exam associated with it. What what will happen is it does take a little bit of time for the FAA. The FAA will contact your uh, aviation authority, make sure that your, valid, your license is valid, and then uh, they put a six-month or, or less uh, time stamp on it that you have to get it kind of re-validated every six months. But no, the, once you do that, you just go visit one of the local flight standard district offices and they hand you your certificate. So pretty oh, yeah. pretty cool opportunity there. Okay. And then for a commercial, is it just the, the check ride or it, again, is there some kind of um, exam for that? Yeah. So uh, there is a written exam. I say written, of course, it's computerized uh, these days. Uh, there's a exam as well as a check ride with, with the examiner. Okay. And, and a, a local medical? Do you have to get an aviation medical from the U.S.? Yes. Uh-huh. So that's pretty standard, I think, uh, across the world. Uh, you'll have to come and get uh, an FAA medical. Uh, pretty straightforward. If you can get a medical in your country, uh, it's not going to be a problem getting one here in the United States. Yeah, it seems the FAA looks more relaxed than, than some of the other ones. I think if you're coming from another jurisdiction into the FAA, it seems like everything just is a, a little bit easier. So in a lot of cases, it, it is uh, easier in the United States to, or, or uh, yeah, to get your medical or license in, uh, in a lot of ways. I guess before we talk about Hillsborough so much, the, the top end of town in terms of people who are maybe they don't even have to be, you know, multi-engine, instrument-rated, moving across into the airlines, but the the rotary to fixed-wing side of things, I think there's even, like, fixed programs set up there. Can you talk about that part, the actual transition from rotary to fixed-wing and, and what the market's like for that? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to talk about it too much. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. The airline industry uh, is is taking a lot of these helicopter guys because they know that they have 
the raw skills for flying, uh, as well as the outer requirements in order to get the ATP. Um, and they're taking taking them straight out of the helicopter industry and straight into uh, the airlines because um, because they can and because uh, and they can they can pay quite a bit for it. And so yeah, you're right. There are actually quite a few programs out there right now. Some even with specific names talking about uh, roadcraft transition uh, programs from a lot of these airlines in the United States for you to for you to get your your transition and, and convert your your license because they're they're in dire need just like we are. What experience base are they targeting? Are they targeting the two thousand hour multi engine IF pilot or are they, are they taking anyone? No, no, they're they're taking anyone as long as you. Uh, as long as you can build up to the ATP requirements, uh, that's all that they care about. Right. <laughs> Again, it's just such a different, Amazing, different setup. It? Yeah. Awesome. All right. <laughs> cool. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the um, the academy there then in terms of, yeah, size, of offering, um, and a little bit of the history in terms of what you guys get up to over there? Yeah. Well, I'll start again with, uh, you know, we started in 1980 with one helicopter and have always been focused on helicopters. At the time, our name was Hillsboro Helicopters and kind of grew up a little bit, started delving into the fixed wing market, became Hillsboro Aviation. And that's uh, probably the name a lot of the the listeners uh, will recognize, Hillsboro Aviation. In 2014, um, actually, the, the owner, Max Lyons, decided to uh, put all of his focus into the contract and charter side of the industry and ended up selling what we now call Hillsboro Aero Academy. And uh, that's where I'm at, obviously, the training side of, uh, of the school. We still have a really close uh, relationship with, with Max and Hillsboro Aviation, but are uh, completely separate companies. But obviously, I held on to the Hillsboro uh, name because of, because of the experience and because of the name recognition in the, in the industry. And then actually, uh, March of last year, 2019, we did a kind of a rebrand or a, or a refocus, if you will, of our helicopter school and started Hillsboro Heli Academy. Now, uh, our Heli Academy is, is based out of the Troutdale Airport, just on the east side of Portland, Oregon. There's no fixed wing here. It's just all helicopter. And uh, we love it that way. Really kind of a tight-knit community of, of helicopter instructors and students. Uh, we have 21 helicopters, uh, most of which are R-22s. We have two R-44s. Again, we love the Robinson platform. It's just a proven platform for training, and we we love operating it and always have. And uh, we're we're kind of situated right at the mouth of the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, we get the opportunity to kind of go out and do mountain training, off airport landings. Uh, and I know that a lot of other countries out there might be listening, and and they say, well, you know, off airport landings are so much harder. In the United States, as long as it's uh, not private land, it's not a problem. It's uh, completely allowed for us to go out there and uh, find a place in the middle of the woods and practice our off our port landing. So kind of another uh, draw for our school, for sure. Okay. And you've got, uh, you know, I'm guessing it's the whole uh, your normal sort of collection of things. So, well, you guys don't have a low level. I think it's just if you get a commercial license in the U.S., you just immediately approve for, for low level. But I'm assuming you can do... You know, sling instrument instructing, 
I don't know. Did you say full Robinson? Have you, have you got 66? Did you say you can do turbines? Uh, we actually don't do any turbine transitions uh, right now. We have in years past, but it's just not something, like I said, with the, with the way the market is right now, we've found that students don't need to pay for it, actually, uh, because they can get out right in the industry and the operators are willing to do that. So we're really just focused on the fundamental skills required and trying to make them the best pilots so that when they get to those operators, they have the best chance to succeed. 21 machines, that's, that puts you to, I don't know, there's many schools bigger than you in the U.S. with that sort of fleet? Um, we, you know, I, I don't know the exact number of a lot of the other schools, but uh, historically we have been one of the, the biggest helicopter flight uh, schools in the United States. There's there's several others that are probably pretty close, but with uh, with our size fleet, I think that puts us pretty pretty close to the top, at least. I think. I was going to say, like as a, as a chief instructor, that's a, that's a fair bit to to keep hold of. I was going to say, have you got any top tips for uh, for other <laughs> chief instructors? Because I don't know that. How do you like even just your daily routine? Like, do you have a when instructors first come in the morning? How do you you know everyone turns up in the morning? How do you get the show on the road? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of our, uh, like I said, our, our instructors were former students, and so the the program and the the schedule and the environment is, is kind of almost seamless for them as they come through and become instructors. As far as tips and tricks there for for running a school, I think probably the most important thing that I've learned throughout the years is to get that face-to-face time with the, with the instructors and with the students and be listening because uh, if you get separated from from the, the people and, and get bogged down in the minutia of uh, the paperwork and things like that, that's, that's when you can uh, lose focus and, um, you know, you start, you start missing things that are happening out there. And also, you know, getting a good team. Uh, we have an amazing administrative team here as well as uh, an assistant chief instructor team that helps me with those uh, with those day-to-day operations. I think that's probably one of the most important things. Fantastic. That's really, really, really good. Okay, well, I guess we just recap. So we've spoken about the fact that, yeah, it's, it is actually happening in the U.S. It's not a, a pot dream that there is a you know demand for, for helicopter pilots and they're starting to, to get some movement through. And I guess we, we spoke about... Um, you know, a couple of drivers for that. So mainly it looks like in the US the airline draw is starting to create a bit of a vacuum there. Is the oil and gas industry, is it picked up anything or is it still, or is it just the fact that there's not enough pilots to go around so there's, there's movement there as well? I think, you know, honestly, it's a little bit of both. Regardless of, uh, of your feelings of our president, our current president, Trump, you know, the fact of the matter is he has uh, made it uh, a little bit easier for a lot of these oil and gas operators to do their jobs and to get out there and, and uh, drill. And, and I know that there's a lot of mixed feelings on a lot of that. But as far as the helicopter industry is concerned, it's been it's been a, a pretty good uh, encouragement for for those helicopter operators down in the Gulf and as well as in Alaska. In the EMS side, because again, you know, the US market looks very, very different on the EMS side. Because in Australia, when you when you think of EMS, you're thinking, you know, one three nines, four four twelves, 
with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, normally if not two pilots, uh, a pilot and a, uh, a crewy who sits in the front and then maybe goes in the back to do the, yeah. the voice work. Uh, and it's very yeah. top end and, and sort of centralized. Whereas outside looking in, it looks like, you know, you go grab a, a 407 or a, a an A-star and you put up a shingle and suddenly you're, you're an EMS country in, in the, sorry, EMS um, company in in the US. So I don't know, is that, uh, is that sort of thing moving as well? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, you know, the helicopter air ambulance industry is, I think it's exploding. Uh, you know, I um, last year I visited what is now called the Vertical Flight Expo. Uh, and it was in Amsterdam. And, uh, it was uh, committee after committee and meeting after meeting about just how the air ambulance industry is just going like crazy, especially in Asia. That's a that's a big driving driver right now. Um, and in the United States, you're starting to see a lot more of these pop up because they realize that a lot of the accidents we are happening were longer distance flights uh, getting themselves into trouble and so they found that they can actually pop up more of these these helicopters and put them uh, even closer together than ever before respond to these environment these these accidents or these emergencies uh, as quickly as possible and on top of that of course you know these uh, cities are getting more congested and so you start to see uh, things are, it's a, it takes a lot longer for someone to travel to the hospital on the ground. And so they, they find that the helicopters uh, are able to do that at a lot faster rate and uh, a lot safer for, for the patients. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the light helicopters uh, in the United States, I do see quite a bit of that in the helicopter, helicopter air ambulance world, but I also see this, uh, this light medium uh, market kind of really starting to take off. You know, a lot of these manufacturers are starting to see the desire for it and and the need for it really starting to, uh, people are getting excited about them for the air ambulance industry. Oh, well, I think we covered a fair bit of stuff there. And then, yeah, obviously the, the visas and the FAA uh, license conversion. So especially the visas would be a fair bit of interest for people just to get a bit more details on those. Uh, Jared, what's the best way people want to get in contact with you? Uh, how they get hold of you? I know you're, you're on LinkedIn, but uh, what's the best way to sort of make connections with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, via our website uh, is probably one of the best places to get connected with us. We have, a, like I said, a really good team, admin team that if you call, they're going to be able to answer just about anything for you. And if you really want to talk to me, I'm, I'll make myself available for sure. But uh, the website is flyhaa.com. And uh, yeah, uh, just about any information and contact information you need is going to be right there for you. That's fantastic. So yeah, really appreciate your time there because obviously with school that size, you're pretty busy. So to carve out the time, I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, I guess a, a shout out to uh, Joey Menuk. Is it I want to pronounce his last name wrong there for, for hooking him up. And he's obviously yeah. uh, one of his students going through there at the moment, I take it. He is. He, he's one of the one of the amazing staff that I was talking about. So he's doing a great job and, and reaching out and really trying to get uh, awareness of the school and, and the helicopter industry as a whole. So he's doing an amazing job. Yeah, good work, Joey. All right, fantastic. Thanks very much, Jared. I'll, uh, we'll uh, catch up with you shortly. Thanks, Mick. Really appreciate it.
the number one question I get asked about helicopter training by far is how much does it cost? And I can almost guarantee that the, the follow-up question I get is how hard is it to get work once you get your license? If you're in the United States or thinking about trying to move there to pick up flying work, then hopefully today's episode gives you a few more answers and maybe some tips around different visa options that you didn't know about uh, beforehand. I'm very grateful to Jared again for his time to uh, talk to us uh, through that. If you do bump into Jared, please let him know if you heard him here and if you got something from it. In the last week and a bit, I've been very lucky to tick off another helicopter from my, I guess, notional spotter's guide or uh, collector's guide. I've been able to see up close and climb into my very first Mill MI-8. This is a, it's an aircraft owned by Heavylift that's normally based up in Papua New Guinea and has been brought into Australia for firefighting ops. It's a, a joint venture between Aeropower and Heavylift. So we've had the MI-8 based at Redcliffe for a, a few days uh, as the crew's got everything sorted and for some media uh, demonstrations. This thing lifts a, a 5,000 litre uh, fire bucket, which when you're standing next with it on the ground, it's, it's pretty impressive. You can pile a whole bunch of people into this bucket um, for the size of it. The APU on the MI-8, it looks like the, the turbine is straight off uh, you know, an AS350 for the, for the size of it. It's just hanging there and obviously there's a, a power supply to get everything up and going. So the whole thing is very, very impressive. When we're pushing a Capri G2 or an R44 past it and you're pushing you know, a helicopter completely underneath the rotor blades of this thing, it certainly gives it a, a sense of scale. So hopefully as this goes out, it's uh, down in southern New South Wales and picking up some work on the fires. But uh, as luck would have it, there's a whole heap of, of rain coming through. So it's definitely helping the people out down on, on the fires there. It's always interesting to see something new. And that's my first Russian designed helicopter that I've been able to, to see in, in the flesh. Big thanks for taking the time out to listen to this and find out a bit more about the helicopter world. Very special thanks and heaps of gratitude to the, the following awesome human beings. This is the, the gang that's helping to cover some of the hosting and bandwidth costs of the show so that we can get this info out, share it around the world, and so that you can listen to it. So a big thanks to AJ, Chris, Eric, Gareth, Hell, Heath, Jack, Jake, Jason, John, Kevin, Mark, Michael, Peter, Rendell, Shannon, and Tony, so thanks guys. You too can support the show through rotarywingshow.com forward slash support, and that really does help out. We're on Facebook if you search for Rotary Wing Show. If you know someone's in training or working in the industry that you think we'd get something from the episodes, then please also shoot them a link to rotarywingshow.com. Stay safe out there, and I'm looking forward to catching up soon. I've got the next episode actually recorded on the hard drive, so that shouldn't be too far away. And catch you later.